This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends. Welcome back. You know, I've been thinking recently about how I begin these episodes. Quite a while ago, I landed on the idea of just saying, Hello, friends, and welcome back. Something simple. I thought about how other people will introduce radio programs or podcasts, and I could say something like, um, This is Michael Cantrell coming from Cat Street Studios in beautiful downtown Dolgovka, Russia. Uh, and I may do that in the future. Just The reason I'm laughing is, for those of you who know, I've recorded a couple of albums, music, and I published a couple of books, uh, children's books, family books. And um, I use the name Cat Street Studios and Cat Street Books and the little logo of a black cat sitting. And the reason I did that, I recorded the first album and I recorded it in my spare bedroom and I was thinking well what could I call the studio and there were just a lot of cats living on my street at the time in Austin Texas and uh, so I thought I'll call it Cat Street and then when I moved to Russia I published these books and I thought well I'll just call it Cat Street Publishing and now I'm doing episodes I should be calling it Cat Street Studios and beautiful downtown Dolgovka is a small village about an hour and a half south of St. Petersburg, just out in the Russian countryside. So uh, be careful when people say things in social media. It can sound a lot fancier than it is because Cat Street Studios in Dolgovka, Russia is a century-old desk with a laptop and a microphone. <laughs> so, okay, today I'm going to revisit or have the second part in a series of talks that I'm calling Foundations. And I'll look at different scriptures, different understandings that have been very fundamental to my walk with the Lord, foundations that God laid in my life many years ago. And before I get to those things, though, I do have a couple of things I want to share. One is a letter I got from a listener, and she's a young professional, uh, right now I believe in graduate school, And she responded to episode number 106, which is the recording of myself and my wife when we were newlyweds, giving a testimony of our marriage. So this young lady wrote and said, Like many young graduate professionals that you know, I too wonder about marriage and it being a part of my life. I was so blessed listening to the recording of you and Olga talk about how the Lord brought you together. I was laughing so much at the newlywed energy that you all had and all the joy and humor. God has used you both in powerful ways, and I loved getting to hear about how it came to be. Well, that's very nice, and I'm really glad that in some way we've been an encouragement to people that listen to this podcast or know us personally. And I will echo that. Yes, I do know a lot of young graduate professionals who are thinking about marriage. Quite a few are listening right now, I'm sure. Our church here in Russia is made up in large part by young graduate students who have come here from outside of Russia to go to graduate school. And so I've had this conversation with quite a few people over the last few months, especially. Okay, continuing with the letter. The writer says, 
I often fear that God would call me to be single for my whole life, or that if I ask him to be married, he'll say no. Well, I understand that fear completely, that concern that, uh, yeah, it's a fear that can come up and grab your heart. I got married when I was 40, so I had uh, a good 20 years of being single. (laughs) Yeah, I went through all of that. I sure did. One of the lessons that I've learned, and I really want to encourage you with, is you can trust God. He's a good father, and he knows what is best. So you can really trust him. He is there, and he's watching out, and he is guiding, and you can trust him. And know that he loves you, and he cares for you, if you'll abide with him and walk with him. And that perfect love will drive out that fear. The second thing that I wanted to say to this, this fear that God would call a person to be single for their whole life, and this was the case with me because my wife is younger than I am, I had to had to wait a few years for her to grow up. And you may need to wait for your spouse to be prepared for you. There may be some work that God needs to be doing in that other person's heart so that that other person is the perfect match for you. And you may need to wait. And your future spouse may be waiting for you to grow up. (laughs) He or she may be just on hold. They're ready, but you're not. So keep walking with the Lord in trusting obedience. Die to yourself, which does not mean to be hard on yourself. It means to forget about yourself. Die to self. Let Just set yourself aside. And the Lord said it, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be provided for you as well. Okay, the listener continued. She said, I wanted to say that your podcast brought up several things in my heart. And here are three things that came to her heart. One, she says that fear is not from the Lord. Amen. She continues, While you mentioned that it may have been difficult to give up what you wanted to do the will of God, that was the thing that brought you freedom. And there is no fear in true freedom when we die to ourselves. Amen. That's exactly right. Number two, her second point that came to her heart as she listened to us give our testimony. God is able to do more than we can ask, but he also cares specifically about what we ask. In your case, it wasn't a general, nebulous idea of marriage, but a reflection of how much God knows his children and wants to provide in ways that only he can. And for those of you who haven't heard that episode, I had a list of qualities that I was praying about for a wife, and I mentioned that list in that episode. And so it was very specific. The Lord led me to be very specific. Uh, The third point that came to the listener's heart That phrase, only he can, that's the quote, only he can, only God can, is so evident in how you and Olga met and were married. This brought the thought to me that I want to live a life where God's grace and provision are evident and bring glory to him. There are so many options in life for a young professional these days. Jobs and states to live in, dates to go on, and she says parenthetically that she's scrolled past hundreds of faces on dating apps. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big thing now. She continues, but recently I have been feeling in my spirit 
that I want to wait for the gifts that God has for me and learn to more fully and deeply submit to his spirit and his will. And then she says, what on earth? That is purely un-American. <laughs> Amen. I uh, wanted to share this because there's a, a turning that can happen in the heart as we repent. This is repentance. And I'll talk about repentance in depth here pretty soon. She's a believer. She's saved. She's walking with the Lord. And yet here is this repentance. It's a new way of thinking. She said, I've been feeling in my spirit that I want to wait for the gifts that God has for me and learn more fully and submit to his spirit. Those are three great things. Wait, learn, submit. And she says, yep, that is definitely not a very American way to think about things, but that is a kingdom way to think about it. And that's the way that the citizens of heaven ought to be living our lives, to wait for what God has for us, to learn from him and submit to his spirit, but then also be willing to step out and walk into those things when it becomes very clear to us what his will is. She finishes with a question. Do you know of any teachings or scriptures or books that speak more to this? And I aimed her, as I have done on this podcast before, to Elizabeth Elliot. So please visit elizabethelliot.org. And also there's an Elizabeth Elliot podcast. There are many good teachings about being single, finding your spouse, being married, being a good parent, discipleship, death to self. Okay, so now we'll move into Foundations Part 2. And I want to start with an update that I received from Montenegro. Part of the ministry I'm involved in helps run youth camps in Montenegro. And for those who don't know, Montenegro is a small country that is due east of Italy, right across the Adriatic. And this last summer, a few months ago, we helped a youth camp. And one of the young men wrote, I had problems with cursing. And the teacher, Mirushka, prayed for me during the discussion after the lesson at the camp. And that meant a lot to me. I didn't come to church with my family for a long time, but God brought us back and I'm happy that God freed me from cursing. Amen. So there's a boy, really, who is admitting, confessing his sin, that he had problems with cursing. And one of the teachers, Mirushka, who's a great lady, she's really, really good, she prayed for him, and that meant a lot. So I encourage you, if you're a mature believer and you're in positions of authority, you take the steps to reach out, pray with the young people, and Andre's testimony is that he confessed his sin, and he's very happy that God freed him from that sin. Amen. The Lord comes to set the captive free. Jesus walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, setting people free, and he continues to do that work by his Spirit, to set us free, not from sin in general, but to set us free from our sins, very specific things. And actually, now that I think about it, I would say I share this. I had a filthy mouth when I was not walking with the Lord before I was a Christian. Boy, I really could curse up a storm. In America, you'd say I curse like a sailor. And God set me free from that in a day. It was gone. When I put my faith in him and was born again, I just was not an issue anymore. Well, this letter from Montenegro will play in to what I'm going to share about repentance in a minute. I do want to cover some ground again, an introduction about 
foundations in the Lord. I'll be sharing a few more things that have been foundational understandings that the Lord has put in my life. And as I said, I very often stand on these understandings, these scriptures, these truths, and I'll actually push off of them. They give me a firm foundation, and I depend on them to keep me steady in the right place spiritually. But before I talk about my personal foundation stones, I want to look again at what the Bible says about foundations. And the Bible uses a variety of word pictures, metaphors, that describe the character of Jesus and how he relates to his people. And these will be familiar to you. Uh, there's a metaphor, a picture of a vine and branches, which involves the flow of life. And there's the image of living water, which is also a flow of life. It's living water. Jesus is the bread of life. And there's the word life again, the life-giving sustenance. And there is a word picture of the Lord being a rock. He is a living stone. Peter writes this in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter quotes Isaiah chapter 28. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, and here comes Isaiah, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And continuing on, Peter says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. Now I want to revisit this idea of a cornerstone, because Jesus is referred to here as a precious cornerstone. A cornerstone is the very first stone that's laid down in a foundation of a building, and the placement of that stone at the corner of the building determines the location of the building and the orientation of the entire structure. It's the very first part of a building. It's the beginning of the foundation. And I want to point out again here that Jesus is this great cornerstone, and God is setting us together like living stones. He is the living stone, and we also are like living stones. We don't go to church. We are the church. The Lord is building us into a spiritual household. And remember, under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law, there was only one place on the face of the earth where God's people could go to offer their sacrifices and have this fellowship with the living God. There was only one temple. That was the place that God chose. That's what the scriptures say. He chose that place, the place of God's presence on earth. Well, that's the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law. Under the New Covenant, God's temple is located wherever his people are. His people are the temple of the living God. His people, we, are living stones that make up his holy household. And anyone who trusts in him will not be dismayed. They'll never be put to shame. Remember, there's no shame in waiting on God. Paul picks this up himself in Ephesians chapter 2, referring to Jesus as the chief cornerstone. 
in Jesus, the whole building is joined together and becomes a holy temple in the Lord. And Paul says, in him, we too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Spirit. So from these scriptures, from Peter and from Paul, from the prophet Isaiah, we see that Christ himself is the cornerstone. Christ himself determines the location and the orientation and the strength of the foundation. And in Christ, everything is joined together. In him, the whole building rises up to become a holy temple to the Lord. We are that living building. And in him, we are being set together as living stones to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Spirit. We are the living stones in the spiritual building that Jesus himself begins as the cornerstone and he ends as the capstone. He is the cornerstone and the capstone. He's the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So it's so important for us to understand that when it comes to foundations in our lives, spiritual foundations, Christ himself is the cornerstone. Not his teachings, not his philosophy, not his good ideas, but he himself is this cornerstone. Well, now I want to come to one of these foundation stones, and it was prompted when I read these reports from Montenegro. There was a a teenager named Uros in Montenegro, and this is his testimony from that youth camp. God was telling me to change my mind about what kind of music I listen to and what kind of music I fill my heart with. I realize that all the garbage I listen to is polluting my heart. I'm going to talk about repentance, and my understanding of repentance helps me so much. And I mention it fairly often in this podcast. And what Urosh wrote is a very good example of repentance. God was telling me to change my mind about the kind of music I listen to, and the kind of music I fill my heart with. You're not just filling your ears or your head with these things, you're filling your heart with it. And Urosh wrote, I realize that all the garbage that I listen to is polluting my heart. Well, first of all, this made me think about a very important proverb that has been so helpful to me. And I guess I would say that this has been fundamental as well. Proverbs chapter 4, starting in verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, make level paths for your feet, and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Amen. Well, we need to guard our hearts. Above everything else, we need to guard our hearts because that's where life comes from. And Urosh realized that he was polluting his heart by listening to a bunch of garbage. And now he wants to guard his heart. God is telling him to change his mind. God was telling Urosh to repent, to change his mind. And this is the fundamental thing about repentance that has been so helpful to me. It's a foundation stone. Repentance, the Greek word is metanoia. And that word, metanoia, basically translate as a new mind, a fundamental change of mind. 
a reorientation, a fundamental transformation of an outlook of man's vision of the world and of himself. It's a new way of loving others and loving God. Repentance is this change of mind, a reorientation. Now, I used to think, when I heard the word repentance, it was just a churchy word, and I thought it meant uh, to turn away from sin or have an emotion of regret about sin. And that's what I think a lot of people would say repentance is. If they think about it, it's like, I'd just be sad about sinning and turning away from it. But that's not exactly what it means. In the Bible, the word repent means a new mind, to change one's mind. And the Bible tells us that true repentance will result in a change of actions. It's not just turning away from sin or feeling regret. It's a it's a fundamental shift in one's mind that results in actions. And this is what John the Baptist preached, repentance, preparing the way for the Lord. To repent is the very first step to becoming a follower of Jesus, to repent and believe. And in Luke chapter 3, we see what John the Baptist was preaching. This is what he says, starting in verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Boy, John was tough. John really laid it out there. He's calling people to repent. I think there should be more calls to repentance in our churches today. Well, when John said this, it cut people to the heart, and they replied, what should we do? What do we do? I think that's a good response. John said, the axe is already at the root of the tree, and if you don't produce good fruit, you're going to be cut down and thrown into a fire. And they say, well, what do we do? If we're expected to bear good fruit, what do we do? John answered, the man who has two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. If you've got more than you need, share it with somebody who doesn't have enough. Tax collectors, they came to be baptized by John. And remember, this is a baptism of repentance. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And John told them, don't collect any more than you're required to. Remember that tax collectors at this time were agents of the state of Rome. So they're Jews. They work for the state of Rome. And their job was to collect the tax that Rome was demanding, and anything extra that they picked up, they got to keep for themselves. And John is telling them, don't collect any more tax than you're required to. Don't steal from people, basically. And then some soldiers asked him, amazing, isn't it? Roman soldiers who are repenting. Well, what should we do? And John said to them, well, don't extort money, and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Well, that was an issue then. Soldiers who have weapons and strength were extorting money. And what's extortion but a threat of violence in order to make another person give you money or something that you want? That's extortion. And he said, don't accuse people falsely. The big issue is they were making money, extra money because they were soldiers. And John said, be content with your pay. I was in an African country several years ago, quite a while ago, and the soldiers there, and they're agents of the state, They really don't get paid very much. And somebody 
asked, I think it was during a presidential election, they asked one of the guys that was running for president, should we increase the salary for the soldiers? And he said, why? They have a rifle. And his whole point was, they've got a rifle, they can make a living. They can go out and extort people and falsely accuse people. Well, that's what John was saying about repentance. You need to do something to show a sign of repentance. In the book of Acts, after Peter heals a crippled beggar, as he speaks to the crowd that's gathered around, he says this, Repent, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. People are asking, what do we do? Repent. And when speaking before King Agrippa, Paul summarizes his ministry, and he tells of the encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. This is in Acts chapter 26. I'll start reading here where Paul is quoting what Jesus said. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Then Paul says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, and then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. A good biblical definition of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. And that has been fundamental to me. It's not just feeling bad about sin, not being sorry, not being regretful. It's a fundamental reorientation of perspective that results in a change in action, a change in the way life is lived. Not some spiritual feeling that you have that you hope goes away. Repentance is the time to say to God, Lord, change my mind, renew my mind, and let that result in the way I live my life. Change me. Amen. Well, the second foundation stone that I want to talk about today, I've already mentioned earlier, When I graduated from graduate school, I could go anywhere. (laughs) I had been in Austin for several years, and then I graduated, and I had opportunities, invitations, uh, Seattle, Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, possibly Atlanta, and I had left Austin, and as I was traveling, I took a little bit of time to travel around the United States, I was praying, Lord, where do you want me to go? I've been in Austin for three years, but now where should I go? Chicago, New York, Seattle, L.A., Atlanta. And I felt like the Lord said, go where the relationships are. And that meant that I needed to return to Austin, (laughs) the very place that I had recently left. Go where the relationships are. That's what the Lord said to me. Now, he may say something different to you. If you're in a time like this where you're praying, he may lead you on into some other place. But for me, he said, you go where the relationships are. And I realized, well, that was Austin. And later, years later, as we were setting up the ministry in Russia, uh, the American ministry that had supported the work in Russia collapsed. 
I was over here on this side of the ocean. I'm in Russia now. The American support side collapsed, and there was no American side of the ministry to support the work here in Russia. So myself and a few other people started an organization in the USA, and the leadership team agreed on the goals of the ministry, but it turned out we did not agree on how to achieve those goals. Uh, We made some mistakes when we put together the leadership team. And I hope to talk about this more in the future. I won't spend a lot of time on it here. We agreed on the goals and the purposes of the ministry, but we did not have the relationships and the unity on how to actually live it out, how to achieve those goals. There was a lack of trust. We had this idea, which I think would be common. Let's put together a board and we should have a lawyer on the board because the lawyer will understand the legal side of things and let's have somebody who's international and let's have Americans and let's do this and that. And so we invited these people who seemed like a good fit, but we did not have the trusting relationship or the full knowledge that God had called us together as a team. So that leadership team did not last very long at all because of this lack of agreement. We agreed on the goals, but not how to get there. And then myself and a few other men, a subset of that first group, (laughs) after that organization collapsed within a year or so, we did what we should have done. We prayed about how the Lord wanted us to build this new organization, which is now Stoneworks. And the wife of one of the men led us to 1 Peter 2, verse 5, which I've already quoted earlier today. God sets us together as living stones. The wife of this other board member said, I feel like God wants you to focus on this scripture. And we also felt very strongly that we were to build a ministry that does not depend on one leader. Uh, We wanted to build something that would continue beyond when the founders have left the organization. So 1 Peter 2.5, what is it? The Lord sets us together as living stones. Remember, God sets the lonely in families And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, correlates very well in my heart with this understanding of God setting us together as living stones. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 5. And then, as Paul talks about this submission to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul mentions a list of relationships, wives and husbands, children and fathers, even slaves and masters. And I'll probably talk about this in the future, but in biblical times, a slave was not the way most people now think about slavery. There were bond servants that were bonded to a family for seven years. So they were enslaved, but they did it by agreement. And at the end of seven years, they were called a freedman, and they were given all of the back wages for the previous seven years. So when we read about slaves in the New Testament, that's not really the thing that we have in our minds now when we think about slavery from, say, the 19th century, the 18th, 17th centuries. So God sets us together as living stones, and we are to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. If the Lord has set a relationship in place, if he has set me as a living stone with another believer then I can submit to that person because I recognize and revere what God has done. That's the application of the scripture. God sets us as living stones. He sets you as a living stone 
where he wants you. And if he has put you in a relationship and you know that he put you in that relationship, then you can submit to that other person because you revere out of your reverence for what Christ has done. This has been so very helpful to me. Another application of this in my life, and I've had this conversation with quite a few people, when people are looking for a church, well, there's this phrase, church hopping or church shopping. People are looking for a place where they fit in, where they feel good. And the way that Olga and I think about it is, where is God setting us? It doesn't matter how good I feel about it. Where is he putting me? I'm a living stone, and he's going to put me in place among other living stones. And we want to be where he puts us. And then we can submit to those other people in that fellowship. And actually, I I guess I would say that I've been set in places where I would never have chosen it myself because it's kind of uncomfortable or there's disagreements. And if I were choosing things that felt good to me, I certainly wouldn't have chosen some of these places God put me. I'll give an example. When we started a work in Estonia, I met a pastor there. His name is Artur. Some of you listening will know Artur. He's a great guy. A pastor is a Methodist church there, very actively involved in the community. And a big part of my call in life is that I'm to help other people do what God is calling them to do. And when I first got to know Artur, I asked him, what do you feel like God is calling you to? What are the things that you'd like to see happen? And he mentioned that he really wanted to open a center for children with disabilities in Estonia. Well, he and I went and looked at some buildings, and then the city offered a piece of property where there could be a new building, and I had my eye on another building, which I was honestly quite confident was the right place for this ministry to be. And uh, Artur and I disagreed pretty sharply. Because he was saying, let's build this new place. And I was saying, no, let's go to this place over here. And we did not have agreement. And then Artur talked to me. And he said, Mike, I'll just let you go with this. I'll let you take it. You go do the work over there. I'll let you have it. And it it hurt me so much. And I knew immediately that that was not the answer for us to part ways and go different directions that God had set us together as living stones and that I was not to just walk away from that because we disagreed on where or how this ministry was going to happen. We have to have unity above accomplishment. We have to value agreement more than outcomes. That's so important because we're living stones. So I said to Artur, brother, I'm going to submit to you because God's put us together and I submit to you And you are the one God is calling to do this work, and I'll submit to you. That's what God called me to do, was to submit to Artur out of reverence for Christ. We know that memory can be a little shaky sometimes, but within a day or two of me submitting to Artur, the city contacted us and said they had an old kindergarten building that they wanted to let us use. And that's where this ministry is based now. It's called Sunbeam. You can look it up, sunbeam.ee. What struck me about that flow of events was God gave me the grace to live in accordance with the foundations that he laid in me of submitting to my brother out of my reverence for Christ, and then a miraculous provision coming 
that was beyond anything that Artur or I could have imagined or thought about or hoped for. It was so much better than either one of us was thinking. And I believe that submission, by God's grace, kind of blew open uh, the spiritual realm around us. It opened things up to where we could receive and continue to walk together in agreement. Now, in my experience, some ministry leaders are like tanks. (laughs) They get a lot done, but they leave human wreckage behind them. And they value accomplishment over relationship. God's been leading me in a different way, that I value relationship over accomplishment. Jesus said, people will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. He didn't say, people will know that you're my disciples by the things that you do, the accomplishments you have, the great works that you do. No, it's love. Love between followers of Jesus is a a witness to the world of his lordship. So that has been a very serious foundation stone for me. In organizations that I'm a part of, I believe I've mentioned it before, at Stoneworks, we don't make any decisions until we're sure that we have 100% agreement. We'll take a vote so that we can have it in the minutes of the meeting and we come to agreement, but we don't even vote until we know that we've got 100% agreement. So I guess this would also be an example of repentance. It's a new mind. It's a new way of thinking, and it expresses itself in actions. And then those actions have resulted in really wonderful blessing. When we're obedient to what God is showing us, when we walk in the light, boy, that's good. Good stuff happens. Okay, I'll do one more foundation stone here. And this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Now, as a young believer, this understanding that I'm about to share with you was life-changing <laughs> In my walk with the Lord, this is something that, man, really turned my life around. I'll start in Hebrews 11, verse 1, and then I'll skip down to verse 6. First, in Hebrews 11, 1, there's a definition by the writer of the book of Hebrews of what faith is. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Does that sound like your definition of faith? A lot of times when people say, oh, I live by faith, or I just have to have faith, it's kind of this unsteady, unsure feeling. It's the same with the word hope. It'd be nice if it worked out this way. I don't know. But faith is being sure. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. That's what faith is. That's why Jesus says, If you ask for anything in my name, then you're going to receive it. A lot of times we pray for things that we're not sure are God's will, and then we're not going to receive it because that's not what faith is. Faith is being certain of what we do not see. Isn't that a challenge? If we have faith like a mustard seed, we could move a mountain because moving that mountain is the will of God, and we are certain that that is the will of God. When we have that kind of agreement, yeah, amen, we could say to a mountain, you be uprooted and be thrown into the sea. If that is the will of God, it's going to happen. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now comes the foundation stone. Verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Okay. As a young believer, I read verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, there's something. We have to have faith in order to please God. If someone is not living by faith, they're not pleasing God. We have to be careful about sermons that say God is pleased with you if we say that to somebody who's not living by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And here's the because. Because anyone who comes to God must, one, believe that he exists, and two, believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And as a young believer, I found myself realizing that I believe that he exists, but I did not deeply believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I didn't believe that he would reward me when I really deeply sought him. I thought, I am going to fail in finding him. He may not reward me. So that's the foundation stone. God said in my mind, not only do I need to believe that he's there, but his promise is that he will reward those who earnestly seek him. And I found that I was limiting God to my weakness as opposed to submitting to his promise of reward when I truly, deeply seek him. Let us not limit God by our weakness, by our inability to hear, by our failure to be perfect. God knows how to speak to you in such a way that you'll hear him. He knows you well enough to break through the fog. Put your faith in him, not in your weakness. Don't limit him. It's his strength that's going to flow. He knows how to take up a spiritual two-by-four and hit you on the head and catch your attention. He knows how to do it. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that changed my life. I remember praying, God, I believe that you're there, and I really want to believe that you reward me when I really seek you. And now I put my faith in your promise. And that's when I started to receive rewards. That's a a part of the understanding of what James says, that when we ask for wisdom, we should not doubt, right? Because if we have doubt, then it's not faith, because faith is being certain. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And James says, when we ask for wisdom, God gives freely without finding fault. And when we ask, we shouldn't doubt. When we ask, we should have faith. When we ask, we should earnestly seek the Lord. God wants you to have wisdom. He wants you to have it. So you can pray in the name of Jesus, because that is the will of God. Father, give me wisdom. I need wisdom, and I want wisdom. And when you pray that prayer, be certain that he will give it to you. Be certain that he will reward you. If you earnestly seek the ways of God, he will reward you. He may bring that reward immediately. It may take a little while. His promise is that he will provide. He will reward. And that means if you're not receiving that reward immediately, it means you don't need it immediately. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. And without that faith, it's just not possible to please God. 
But, oh, God loves it when we live by true faith because then we're walking in agreement with him, in unity with him. And anyone who comes to God must have these two things, two beliefs, that God is there, amen? Some people don't believe God is there. And that God is a loving father who gives good gifts to his children. He rewards those who ask and seek and knock. He rewards those who keep on asking, keep on seeking, go on knocking. Your father knows what you need before you ask him, and he'll give you what is the very best thing for you. Well, I encourage you to go to Hebrews chapter 11 and memorize verse 6. Let it go deep in your heart because it's good. Well, in closing, what are the foundations that the Lord has laid in your life? You've heard me talk about the foundation stones he's laid in my life. I hope that some of what I've shared here has been a foundation for you. Is God laying a foundation stone for you now? As we seek these foundational understandings, let's remember that Christ himself is the cornerstone. He's the beginning of this process of laying foundations for us. Christ himself is the cornerstone, not his teachings, not his philosophy, not his worldview, but Christ himself personally. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all.